Amen. Father God, we are so grateful to be here in your presence, uh, to be together and unified, whether that means in here or at home. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that your presence transcends anything that, uh, any place or anything we can experience in this life. And Lord, you have been faithful, and we proclaim that. And as we go to your word now, we ask uh, that you would give us the insight that we need and the encouragement that we long for. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I hope you're excited like me to get into the new sermon series, new season, new series, the book of James uh, new season of football this year. Wait, I meant Rally Sunday. It has nothing to do with the NFL. Sorry, I got sidetracked there for a minute. Uh, no, new, new series, new season uh, that we are in as a church. And uh, I got to tell you, when I was a little kid, I was a Christian then too. I know that might surprise some of you. Um, but when I was younger, I had a favorite book of the Bible, and it was James. And and I mean like when I was a real young kid, and I think it was because it was just so tangible, so straightforward, it was even a little bit harsh, it just kind of told me what to do and how to do it, and that was probably because I needed it, okay? Uh, but I appreciate something that is as tangible as it is as we consider some really important questions as we go through this series, and, and I'm going to phrase them this way to start out. What good is faith? if it has zero impact on my life? Or maybe another way of saying it, how true can it be if it matters very little for my life? This is what we're exploring as we go through the book of James, because church, we want to be followers of Christ who are obedient to our Savior. Kind of the point, isn't it? That we would be followers of Christ, that we would be followers who seek to be disciplined in what we do in order to be an example and a witness to the world. Because true faith, I, I think you would agree with these statements here, true faith is, is touchable or, or tangible, as, as the word, word means. You can reach out and touch it. You can see it in someone's lives, which also means it's personal. And what I mean by that is it's not, not necessarily private, but it speaks into the private parts of our lives, the private places, excuse me, of our lives, but into our minds and hearts. And it's also, it's also then not just inward, but it's outward, it's public. True faith would be something that you can see as, we would, as it would speak into the things that are in society today and the great influences uh, like like what we're seeing going on politically, uh, like things that, that our world is standing for, or seeking to stand for with peace and justice and injustice and human rights, and, and really just basically something that James really covers, and, and that is how we treat one another. So this book is going to be honest with us, forthright with us, and I think we need that church, and we're going to go through reasons why, because see, if we really believe something, it will be lived out in everyday life, and it's why I've entitled uh, this sermon series, How to Live, Faith That Produces 
real life change. And today I want to talk about why the book of James matters as much, if not more today than ever before, by looking at its introduction. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open there an app and look, look on with me. We're going to get through verse 1. That's as far as we're going to go. James 1.1, 1, 1, and I'm going to read that for you. You're going to see it before you on the screen as well and on your screens at home. James, it says, reading in Jesus' name, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. It's like the onset of a letter, right? The question for me today is, what what do we, the church, learn from James' writing in his life? Why did James have to address what he did in the book? And why does it matter to us today? Let's start with who James was. This is, believe it or not, and often gets overlooked, this is the half-brother of Jesus. That is, he was the son of Mary. But remember, Joseph was not Jesus' father. Mary had Jesus by the Holy Spirit, so Jesus' father is, is God. And that means he is the son of God, and because he was born of a woman, he's son of mankind, or son of Mary. What do we know about James? Well, we're going to get into it a little bit more deeply, but John chapter 7, and we'll go there later, tells us that he grew up not believing in Jesus. That would have been an interesting household. And, and yet we know from 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that he was one of the early witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and it transformed his life and therefore his faith. And following this miraculous event, he became the pastor at a church in Jerusalem, early church we're talking here, and he became this great leader. It speaks in Acts chapter 1, 14 uh, of James' influence in that church, and and. We know from tradition where, you know, those, that church continued and has it, had its struggles, and then from tradition that, that it was James who actually was martyred for his faith in Jesus, uh, meaning that he has quite the powerful story and testimony. Uh, I think about that uh, testimony, when, when I say that, that term, if you're not used to it, a term like that, testimony. It's, it, it's a life story of one who is maybe, in a sense, converted to Christ. Uh, think about maybe in your own life, maybe, maybe it's you or, or maybe it's, it, it's a story you've heard or a person that you've known. Think about a great testimony in which someone has come from maybe a very difficult background and come to know Christ against all odds, so to speak. Think, think about it, maybe a story you've heard, and, and as you're thinking about that, I want you to consider what are the elements or, or the details of that story that make it so, what well, we might say, miraculous, okay? So I want you to think about maybe who that is or what that story was about as you consider these things. Was it a testimony or a story of one's life in which they were from a very difficult background, and you would have never guessed that that person, of all people, could be saved by Christ Jesus, and, and transformed? Or, or is it the kind of testimony in which someone from the baptismal covenant, just they just knew Christ and always walked faithfully, at least to, to what you observed in their life. They just were always walking with Christ and it just always amazed you that they were faithful and true to Jesus. I don't know, maybe it's an element like that, or, or maybe, maybe it was a little more like this story of James. Interesting that he would grow up in the very presence of Jesus, likely a bit older brother. And and yet later on, even as he saw the works and the signs 
in Jesus' ministry did not believe until one day Jesus stands before him. I've got to ask the question, how odd would it have been to grow up around Jesus, right? I shared a room with my brother all the years of my life growing up anyway, and yet there's a reason why my son and my other son don't share a room. <laughs> you, can, you can laugh, guys, guys. Why? Because there, there can be tension, right? Yeah. Don't, don't know all that happened in his upbringing, but we do get a taste of it when we get to this point in Jesus' life where he is in ministry. In fact, it's John 7, 2 through 5 that gives us just a little glimpse, just a teeny little glimpse of what it might have been like as, as Jesus was growing up in the home where his, his brothers you know, were around him and yet didn't believe in him. It says in verse 2, if you have a, a, a minute, go to John 7. It says, now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For me, the, the most incredible of all conversion stories is one like James, where he grew up in the temple and observed uh, the, the ancient rituals. We might say he was a church kid. He, he knew the Torah. He celebrated the Jewish feast, which, by the way, we're in the season of right now. Uh, and and, and what, a, what a great season this is as we consider some of that. He celebrated the feast. He studied the prophets that foretold of a coming Messiah who would come and, and then... And we don't know what life was like at home, but by the time Jesus is beginning his ministry, word spreads that this, this is the Messiah. And it says in John 7 of this reaction that his brothers had. It says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Then it says, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. What we're being told here, and it might be hard to see without the, the full context, but what we're being told here is the brothers of Jesus, James too, saw the signs and wonders and heard the teaching, but they dismissed Jesus. They had their ideas for what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And here are some of the great commentators make suggestions that it shows us that they would not entrust themselves to him. That they would not accept his spiritual leading or acknowledge his divine mission or that he was Messiah. And, and that's what I find so unique uniquely interesting about this book is that the context or the very foundation of which is being laid here for us is that the book of James is written from a perspective of one who dismissed and rejected Christ only to be confronted with Christ later on in life. What, what is it about a, a life that grows up kind of amidst, you know, religion, Jesus, church, and that goes on to maybe not believe or disregard or dismiss, only to later on have Jesus reveal himself. Maybe it's your life or your son or daughter or a spouse, and you just can't, they can't find it in themselves to surrender their life. Maybe that's you here today. I want you to know that James is going to be a great book to get into. 
It's really straightforward. It's really forthright. It's really honest. But the story of James, the writing of James, will be a great fit for you if you're in that place. Because James' story shows us something about the love and grace of Jesus. At its very foundation, although it's been criticized for being really law-heavy, really at its very foundation is the gospel. It goes to show us that Jesus can work in any heart in life if he can work in a life like James. No matter your background or, or your story, your skepticism or belief, or if you walk with, walking with Jesus from the, the day you were born. That Jesus can work in any life. That His grace abounds over anything that you're dealing with now or have in the past or will in the future. Amen? Amen? Just like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He starts in verse 3 by saying, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Which, by the way, is revelation or the revelation of the gospel. In James' case and in Paul's case, that's a literal revelation of Jesus standing before them. In our case, it may be something miraculous or our, the Word of God being, being shown to us in, in the midst of a, a sermon in a setting like this. It could be somewhere at home where you just open up the Word of God and you see for the first time, that light bulb goes on for the first time, that Jesus is Savior and Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared first to Cephas, then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500. And then it says, and then he appeared to James. It shows us the complete love and forgiveness of a Savior. That despite what happened in that home growing up, and I can only speculate, that Jesus, if he can save James, and if he can forgive James for whatever that was like growing up for him, and his disbelief and his dishonor of the Savior, he can, he can forgive me whatever I'm going through right now today. It's, it's an incredible testimony this book of James, written from the perspective of one who dismissed or rejected Christ, only to be confronted by him. What would that meeting have been like in the upper room where Jesus stands before him and shows him the, the, the scars in his hands and in his side and, and reveals the, the truth that he is Messiah and Lord to him? Here's the thing. What James' life and testimony also shows us, though, is that despite our struggle or our lack of action in our faith or living it out, which we all struggle with, we can also experience the same transformation that James has experienced. Maybe you're like James. You've grown up around the gospel and the message of Jesus, but your life doesn't reflect it today. Maybe you're like so many of us. And then one day he appears. And it starts to dawn on you that this is not the path you want to be walking down. And that obedience to Christ is the only right way to live, for there is no blessing in going 
another way. The book of James is written from a perspective that true faith is lived out. And transformation comes as we grow in our obedience to the one who conquered death. That's its foundation. James, in his writing, displays such a strong and active faith in Christ. You don't have to wonder how he's living or whether or not he was sold out for Christ or why he had the same expectation on his own life as he did of other followers in the church he served. See, James... It's really an important book for us, for all of these reasons, but none more importantly than, boy, the day in which we are written, in which it is written and where we are studying it today. Because unfortunately, we're living in an age where the church has struggled to live out their faith, where mere assent or talk has taken place of what we would call true obedience. I think it's safe to say for many churchgoers, I want to be careful how I say this, but I think it is just true for so many of us, and primarily speaking of the church at large here in the Western world. I think it's safe to say that for many churchgoers, we talk the talk, but we struggle to walk the walk. And that's led us in all sorts of places, but it certainly led us to allow others to see What I think writer Brennan Manning captures so honestly in his famous quote, I'm going to show you that. He said this, The greatest cause of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable, yeah. I think that's well said. In other words, talk is cheap. If you agree, James is a good book for you to study. Because talk is cheap. And this has caused within the church at large a growing lack of consistency, a lackadaisical or powerless example to others of our witness. Not to mention, it's weakened our immune system, so to speak, in the church, spiritually. See, see, when we're not obedient to the Word of God, what actually happens is not only, not only weakens our witness, which is obviously a great concern, but what it also does is it makes us susceptible to the attacks of Satan and the great enemy that wants to separate and divide the church. And James addresses that very directly. And it also makes us susceptible to the way we relate with others in society who are trying to share the gospel and live out the Great Commission as we go into all the world and make disciples. No, we don't need weak immune systems, not physically or spiritually. We don't want to lack tangible and personal and public faith that reveals to the world whom we serve. Because I think it does show us and show the world uh, that if we lack discipline in the faith, uh, that rather than Jesus, uh, we serve ourselves. We're only in it for our own interests. And, and that leads me back to verse 1, and really what I'll say in conclusion. 
Notice in this greeting what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing between 50 and 60 AD, James humbly describes himself as a servant, not from the authority as a brother, instead with a humble authority to the 12 tribes in the known world. That is Jacob speaking to the sons of Israel about the church's example to the world of ethical or biblical living. How faith that is true will show itself or will be evident in lifestyle. Did you know that James' Hebrew name, uh, we call him James, but actually his real name was Yochavar, Jacob. And I think that gives us some insight. Scholars believe uh, that because there is no name for James in the Greek, that, that maybe us taking it from the root and, and making it in English to James, m- much like we might say Jesus and Jesus, uh, we, we might be going in the wrong direction with saying James, but really his name was Jacob. Anyway, w- without all of those details, uh, those are maybe less important than the point here. I think it gives us insight into what is Jacob speaking to the 12 sons about Messiah and how they should live among their brethren in order to be an example. I think it's like Jacob speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel once again that Jesus is Messiah and that there is hope only found in him. He's telling them, if you're going to make any headway, you're going to have to live out your faith before others because your example is what will show them who Jesus truly is. Even in the most difficult of environments like the church he was serving at Jerusalem, which would have been. Which is the reason why he went on to be martyred for his faith. And why I believe him when he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ here in the text. Because he was willing to give up everything in servanthood and commitment to Christ. And what an example that is for us, church. The way we live in commitment to Christ, in servanthood towards him. That's what James is all about. The term here means literally bondservant or slave. Now, I want to be careful with the term we're using here today because today we have very different implications as we might use it, but consider what it means in the day in which it was written. It means that you were obligated, and that being in a positive sense, in a willing sense from your heart, to serve. Not not poorly treated or forced enslavement. Instead, the term refers to a person or a permanent role that God has for the believer in Christ. This is the believer called to live out by faith the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the life of James. After Jesus stood before him in the upper room and showed him the nail-scarred hands and the wounds in his side, it's why James goes on to lead the church in persecution and gives up his life. This is the meaning of surrender or laying down your life just as Jesus did. It means to die so that you can live. This is true servanthood. And that's what God is calling us as a church to. Servanthood. Not just signing up for an hour on Sunday morning. We're signing up for a team that we're trying desperately to fill or a role that's lacking in the church that we just need to put any 
body in. No, God is calling us all to servanthood because that's what his kingdom is all about, serving Christ. And if that is lacking in you as it is so often in all of us, I pray that you would respond today. That the the same encounter that James had with Christ would be real in your own heart so that you could serve his kingdom and be blessed as God seeks to bless you as you would be a part of whatever role he wants you in because that's what he is calling us all to. And that's what this fellowship is all about. And if we've learned anything over the course of the last six to, you know, eight, nine months, it's that. That what's going to hold us together is certainly not our circumstance. It's going to be Christ and what we have in common with him. And so I just want to take some time uh, to pray over our year and give it to the Lord and ask that as we would be committed to whatever is ahead, that we would be faithful to what he wants of us, not what we want of ourselves, which rather than servanthood to ourselves is servanthood to Christ. And so would you bow with me as we consider this year ahead and as we make a commitment to whatever God has for us in this new ministry year? And would you consider again as we go to him in prayer the heart of this gospel, that being that as James speaks to believers in Christ, we are saved by his grace and that this is not a burden of servanthood, but rather it is a privilege out of gratefulness for what Jesus has done for us in his love and mercy. Heavenly Father, so grateful that we have the privilege to serve you, Jesus, the great King. One who can also sympathize with the things that we're dealing with and going through because you've experienced them and more. And as you lead us into this next year, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be faithful and obedient as we are instructed in this letter. That you'd make these truths that are in James so real to us that they would be applied to our lives and we'd live them out as a witness to you. Lord Jesus, do that in my own heart. Do it in each and every one who is listening to this and hearing this. Uh, Lord Jesus, that we would be willing and humble, like James, to surrender our lives to you as we encounter you in every way. Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom as we go, as we take the next step, and as we seek to be faithful to you who gave your life to us. And rather than come to earth to be served, served us in the greatest way possible, and that is laid down your life for us. So in gratefulness and thanksgiving, we ask you, Lord, to transform us so that your kingdom would be impacted forevermore. We pray this in your name.